0: Welcome back to our q and a time. Our first question it says it is true Job was described as upright and flawless in his ways and one who shuns evil, but is it possible Job still had not arrived to the place God desired him to be um, by god 's questions to him at the end of the story? Job were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth et etc et etc uh, i love this I love this question uh do, 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 how, should I just tell you my answer, or, or I, wrestle wrestle with the the question? Because we just talked about in class how uh, we've we've determined he was perfect and righteous in all his ways, no one on earth like him, and that this was not being tried in the crucible. But yet, yet this person points out a a, um, a conversation where God uh, challenges Job. Job, were you there when when I laid the foundation of the earth, and maybe chastises Job for for uh, questioning God uh, a little bit here. Um, so, what do you think? Do you think that this, uh, these events were happening because Job needed to learn something? I'm sure, he learned something. He? But were the events happening because he needed to learn something? Yes. No. Okay. So, so this is the difference between character development and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are finite beings. God is an infinite being. Even in eternity future, after the second coming, after the thousand years, after all sin and sinners are gone, when we are living in eternity, in a new heaven and a new earth, there's no more mar of sin, do any of us become God? No. No. So we still have more to learn. We will be learning for all eternity future. We never stop advancing our knowledge of God. That is different than having a character that is settled into love and trust in God and can't be shaken from it. So character... Job did not have these events to help refine his character. He was perfect and righteous in all his ways. He's already settled in his trust for God. But yes, there were many things he didn't know because he's not an infinite being. And there's many questions he, he, he needed to have answered. And that's what you see happening here. But these events weren't happening as an educational tool uh, for um, for Job. They they uh, got They were certainly events that caused Job to question and led for an opportunity for education. But that was not the purpose of the events. So, I don't see that, uh, in any way, it, it, they're, they're, so we're making this distinction between character and growth and understanding. What are righteous actions beyond prayer to address mandates to support non-coercive ethical medical practices? Well, uh, so many, uh, re- response options seem to yield to, uh, John 836 temptation, 1836 temptation. Uh, Dr. Peary, Corey, or Pierre Corey, uh, on, uh, he received disciplinary letter from the American Board of Internal Medicine. Uh, he, along with, um, Peter McCullough, are being investigated for their, uh, board certification status because of the public lectures they've given, um, on the whole COVID vaccines and treatments and so forth and so on. And they reference that here. It says the, the sin, my unwillingness to go along with Fauci's monolithic vaccine above all else strategy. That, that's what, uh, uh, Dr. Corey said was his sin. He didn't go along with the mandates. So they're asking the question, uh, what other righteous actions to address mandates? Well, um, be a lover of truth. Uh, stand up and question the narrative. Uh, research and understand, uh, to the best of your ability, the methods of God and contrast the methods of God from the methods of this world. God's method, truth, love, freedom. The standard uh, historical practice of medical ethics uh, requiring informed consent and leaving patients free to make decisions about what treatments they take or don't take, even if they're life-saving treatments. Jehovah's Witness is not required to get a blood transfusion, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Uh, contrast that with the methods employed. Um, the historical standards of medical ethics were broken in almost every circumstance, uh, and they were based on irrational fear-mongering rather than objective medical science, the censoring, the deplatforming, and, and in this case, the American Board of Internal Medicine seeking to decertify somebody for what? Not for malpractice. Malpractice requires a doctor-patient relationship in which the patient was mistreated. These are these are people giving public education. This is a free speech issue. And the American Board of Internal Medicine does not actually have the science to refute what they're saying. And so if you're actually presenting actual objective falsehood, you just simply come out and you refute the person. And you make them look like a fool. Okay. Imagine if these guys were out there giving lectures on how cigarette smoke is going to let you live 20 years longer and stop the heart disease and, 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 and put cancer into remission. If they were doing that, they would simply make them look like fools. But they can't because the evidence isn't on their side, so they're going to use the authority of office to try to censor them. And the real, and the real targets here, I want everybody to understand, in my view, the real targets are not McCullough and Corey. The real target is every other doctor who hasn't spoken up yet. Keep your head down and, and be quiet because the evidence is going to be overwhelming that what we did was fraudulent, unethical, uh, deceitful, corrupt, and if you speak up, we're going to decertify you too and you're going to lose your income. It's really an intimidation factor for the rest of medicine, in my view. So the righteous actions, you stand for truth, you present the truth in love, you question, you have, apply the principles of God in how you live. Last year, you shared valuable scientific information about COVID-19 and uh, broad natural immunity. You said that the variations all occurred on the spike protein of all the different variants. So far, that was true when I gave that announcement. Yes. Rendering reinfection highly unlikely or nearly impossible. Uh, I recall the uh, significant immune relationship between SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2. Uh, still, I'm wondering if you can revisit this and share if there's any been any recent change on this front. A biochemist friend of mine said that the Omicron was genetically different from the others um, when it first emerged. Okay, so understand what a variant is. A variant, by definition, has genetic diversity from the parent. That's what it is. So when it, my friend says it was genetically different, that's what makes it a variant. If it didn't have a genetic difference, it would be the same one. So these viruses are mutating all the time, and when it makes a mutation so that the sequence, maybe if we're going to use the, the 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 RNA and or DNA, depending which which um, organism you're talking about, those molecules are like letters in an alphabet. You sequence them together in a certain way, they spell words and so forth and, and connote information. If you have a sequence, and we're going to use an English alphabet so you can relate to this. And you have a sequence and in the middle of the sequence there is L-I-V-E. It spells live. And it mutates and it goes L-O-V-E. Now you still have a readable sequence, but it's not the same as the original sequence. That, that is a genetic mutation. OK, it now is love instead of live. OK, um, that would be a variant of the original. And so, of course, I don't have any problem with it. All, every one of the every one of the variants have a genetic mutation from the original parent one. That's what mutations are. So um, I don't see any, um, you know, epiphany from your biochemist friend saying that. That's just understanding reality. Uh, and I have seen no data that, and by the way, viruses tend to mutate to the point that they become less virulent with time. And that's exactly what you saw with Omicron. Omicron spreads more easily, but it kills less people. And that means it means that it's less, uh, less likely to be eliminated from the population. It's just going to float around in the human population for all eternity until Christ comes. It's not going away. And just like the, just like influenza. Influenza is part of the background noise that we all deal with. Uh referencing um one of my blogs the genocide uh, uh genocide and the god of love um so forth. Um the person asks if god was to use natural elements example hornets to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan wouldn't that be genocide. No, genocide by definition is the extermination of a group of people, killing them. Driving them out so they're still alive, but they voluntarily say, this land is uninhabitable, I don't like living here anymore, and they pick up and they move to another land voluntarily, which is what the plan was. It makes the land less and less habitable so the people just want to move. That is not genocide. Genocide would be killing them. So no. Uh, please help me understand Exodus fifteen twenty six. He said, uh, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring upon you the diseases I brought upon Egypt, for which I am the Lord that heals you. Are the commands the Ten Commandments? Uh, which ones are the decrees? Are the diseases any kind of uh, kind or of any kind or God talking about the plagues of Egypt? So um, in this context, God is treating them like a parent treats infant or small children if you uh you uh, you are not to play in the street if i catch you playing in the street i'm going to spank your bottom okay so god is actually intervening very much like a parent with rules and threatened punishments to bring upon them because they're so childlike, they have no clue actually how reality works. They don't know that when you worship a golden calf and have an orgy around a golden calf, you actually see your conscience harden your heart, warp your character, and 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 uh, and alienate yourself from the principles of how God is designed life to operate. So God has set rules for them and he's taking the role of a loving parent, uh, identifying as the source of threats in order to guide them down a path that will lead them to maturity, just like you did with your children when your children were small. That's all that's going on here. The commandments uh, referred to here are more than the Ten Commandments. It was all the instructions that he was giving them on diet and what foods to eat and, and how to live your life and how to get rid of your sanitation so you don't get sick from the infections and so forth. Of, uh, that you should actually have your latrines downstream from your water source, not upstream from your water source. Uh, These types of rules are being established then. And if you didn't do it and you put your latrine upstream from a water source, then there'll be a sickness that'll come upon you. And and the Lord said, he'll bring that sickness. So they'll think, well, God did this because we didn't follow his rule. Um, And this type of thing was happening. If we love products from a company, but the company comes out saying things, uh, saying they support things Christians don't support, like Pride Month and abortion, uh, should we spend money there? <laughs> and if we decide we shouldn't spend money there, is it okay to buy this item secondhand so we can still get our items we like? <laughs> oh, Let every person be fully persuaded in their own mind. There's no rule on this. I mean, you do what you, you do what your conscience tells you to do. Uh, and it, it certainly it it depends on what the product is, doesn't it? Products we like. Okay, I can think of many products that might be actual necessities that really uh, you could actually injure yourself without in, in, in circumstances and and a company there are companies out there that produce certain things that we have we really need in the society, and those companies uh, may advance uh, political agendas but uh, you know i i 'm not one of these people that says you know cut off your nose to, to spite your face okay um, so every person be fully persuaded in your own mind. Uh, you make your own conscious decision on what the Lord will have you do in those circumstances. Uh, Jesus uh, tells us to love everyone, but I must admit, uh, people get on my nerves, <laughs> and I lose patience with them. Losing patience with let's pause right there. There's an assumption built in. If you assumption, and the question is, if I lose patience, I don't love them. Isn't that the assumption? How the how it's how it's framed? How many parents have lost patience with their children? Has any parent ever done that? Did that mean you don't love your children? Losing patience is not an evidence of a lack of love at all. It could be an evidence of lack of sleep. (laughs) Truly, truly, yeah, really. Your lack of sleep, your prefrontal cortex is fatigued, and your patience is undermined, and you're more likely to be impulsive. It could be an evidence of a medication disagreement that your doctor put you on. Uh, Losing patience is an evidence of lots of things. It doesn't necessarily mean a lack of love. So you have to evaluate, why am I losing my patience? It could be that you're overwhelmed and you've actually allowed too many responsibilities to land on your shoulder and you're drowning in all your responsibilities. And one more thing, you're about to explode because you're barely keeping your head above water, metaphorically speaking. This happens a lot. It's one of Satan's strategies to, to hurt good people when they can't get them to choose evil. He overwhelms them with good responsibilities they can't keep up with and they're drowning with it. One more request, they explode. Why they explode? Because I'm drowning. So I, I, I question the, the initial premise that, that having um some impatience is necessarily an evidence that you don't love the people you're impatient with. Uh reevaluate the reason for the impatience first first one. Let's keep going. Uh, let's see. Love people let's see. Um I pray all the time that God will uh will put love in my heart. I would uh I would do anything to help anyone with my time, money, and taking care of the sick, but people can suck the life out of me. Well, there you go. What does that sound? didn't I just describe what that's about? It sounds like there's a difficulty here setting boundaries and that you haven't figured out that you are a finite being and that if you can't the devil can't get you to choose evil then he's tempting you to over exhaust yourself with good, 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 good and all this good that you're doing to the point that you're so exhausted that you don't you don't even want to see one more person and maybe you want to stay home this weekend because you know if you go to church this weekend somebody's going to ask you to do something and you can't take one more thing so you stop going to church because you just can't deal it anymore the real issue here is you you actually stepping back and deciding in governance of self what are the duties the lord would have you carry out and not uh, try to take on everything else other people would assign you two hundred dollars uh, Two hundred dollars, russell said <laughs> um, see and that's and that is one of the principles of love love is truthful love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and self uh, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. you cannot love another person if you don't love yourself It always starts with self-health. First rule of caregiving. First rule of caregiving is the health of the caregiver. If the caregiver does not maintain their health, then they are compromised and they end up having to be cared for by somebody else. So you have to establish the minimum requirements to maintain the health of your spirit temple. How much sleep? How much nutrition? How much water? uh, How much exercise? How much decompression time away from responsibilities just to have time with the Lord? And Jesus constantly took time away from the masses... To rest, recover, and spend time with his father. Okay? So, that's what love does. And Satan traps people into, you know, empath obesity. Is that what it's called, Russell? Empath obesity. Okay? That's over-empathizing. Empath obesity. <laughs> okay? People who are so empathic, they never say no. Oh, you poor thing. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll help. Okay, I'll help. Okay. I'll help. And pretty soon that person's crushed under everybody else's problems. When God said, build me a sanctuary after the pattern that I will show you, most SDA pastors say that that pattern was the sanctuary in heaven. How do you respond to that? Well, um, that, when most pastors say that, ask them to show you the scripture. And the scripture will take you back to the first five books of the Bible. I can't remember. It's Leviticus, I think. And he says, it showed him a pattern in the mountain. The pattern was shown to him in the mountain. Now, when you think about a dressmaker, uh, we're, we're probably not too many people around that remembers making dresses at home. But anybody remember actually making dresses at home? You'd go, I remember as a child, mama did. And you went to a, a sewing store and you bought a, a pattern. And you laid the pattern out on the material. On the material. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you cut it. But is the pattern the dress? When you look at the pattern, are you seeing a dress? Are you seeing a pattern of what will become a dress when you build it? He was shown a pattern on the mountain, a blueprint. It would be better to say, according to the blueprint I showed you on the mountain. And many people say, and that blueprint was patterned after the sanctuary in heaven. But there's no evidence that I know of that Moses was actually taken to heaven and shown a building in heaven. He was shown a pattern, a blueprint. And he was to build a thing on earth based off that blueprint. And that blueprint was a blueprint of a theater that was an object lesson for the reality of the human soul. That's what it was. Thank you all very much. Let's close our prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the truth about how you've made us. Give us compassion, wisdom, discernment to, to be a, a loving conduits of your healing um, presence to all those in our community. We pray in your holy name. Amen.